Let's open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 119. We'll be looking at a portion of the next section. The sections run about seven verses each, and that's, uh, uh, that's kind of a lot to cover in depth. So we're, I'm just kind of pulling out portions that are uh, particular. This is, uh, remember, this is an acrostic, Aleph, Beth, Gimel. This is the Gimel section, the third section. Um, if this was English, it'd be A, B, C. Um, this is where we are on that. So we're in Psalm 119, verses 17 through 24. If you're able, would you stand with me as I read the word of God? Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and that you would fill us with this word, that we would treasure it in our hearts, that we would affix it in our minds, Lord, so that it goes with us wherever we go, so that it would be present in our thoughts and present in our conversations, that it would overflow from us because it has been poured into us. So open our eyes to your word we ask today in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 119, verse 17. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide thy commandments from me. My soul is crushed with longing after thine ordinances at all times. Thou dost rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who wander from thy commandments. Take away reproach and contempt from me, for I observe thy testimonies. Even though princes sit and talk against me, thy servant meditates on thy statutes. Thy testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Remember one of the the themes, obviously the theme of every verse except three or four in this psalm is the word of God and the importance of taking this word and, and, and taking it from the page and moving it to our memories and moving it to our hearts. Uh, some enterprising uh, young person, young person younger than me, I'm going to guess, um, took the first three verses of Psalm 119 and stuck it on the, in the bathroom. You know, so you can memorize it. I don't know about the ladies' room. It's in the men's room. I don't, don't spend much time in the ladies' room. Uh, but there it is in the men's room, uh, right before you. So you fix it in your hearts. Now, memorizing is, um, so for some people, it's just a breeze. And especially in our own um, uh, area of expertise. Let's, let's put it that way. Some things we can memorize, um, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll I'm not a lawyer, I don't even play one on TV, but if you're a lawyer, you probably have cases stashed in your brain that you can refer to. Oh yeah, in uh, Jenkins versus Jones, it was this and this and this, so that you can pull it out. Theologically, we have the same type of thing, maybe in the medical field or accounting field. Um, Those things come to you quickly. Not so much often when we jump out of our own field, and, and then we have trouble because it, it doesn't have the same applicability, except there are some people who simply have the capacity to memorize. In, nine, in 2006, Akira Haraguchi, anybody know that name, you math lovers? Akira Haraguchi recited 100,000 digits of pi from memory. 
Okay? One, it took him 16 and a half hours to do so. There is no rhyme or reason to those digits. It's not like, you know, we can all recall songs from our youth that we could sing, you know, oh, I wish I were Oscar Mayer Wiener. Because it's, it's stuck in the pie is just random. Um, and so 100,000 digits of pie. You, the question is, well, why would he do that? <laughs> Uh, I guess he could. I could. Um, take it. Take a moment to think. When was the last time you memorized somebody's phone number? Okay. Rather than just put it in your contacts to have it there. Why is it that I can remember Judy's home phone number when she lived in Columbus when we were dating six one four eight four six one five eight three, but I can't remember her present phone number. Okay. <laughs> it's, but but what do we say? Well, it's in my phone. Okay. It's in my phone. Wow. Oh, what is going on here? When was the last time you pulled out your phone to Google something that, that you wanted to know rather than trying to work through your mind and process it and, and pull it out of your memory? Well, that might take 30 seconds, and I can Google it in 10. So why should I wait the extra 20, right? See, technology changes what and how we remember, and, and, and this week I did a lot of research on this, and there's a growing body of uh, data to suggest that this kind of uh, influx of information and the way we store things is having an effect on both our short-term and long-term memories and how we keep stuff in here. Uh, Nicholas Carr, who wrote a book, uh, The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains, um, to sum it up, it's rotting our brains, okay, that's, that's what it's doing, uh, because it's overloading us. There's just so much information that we think is important, and I have to stash it away there, but what happens is, I'm, I'm, I'm summing up all the work, you pour it in so fast that it doesn't stick, and there's, it's all going out the other side. That's what happens here. He says, the depth of our intelligence hinges on our ability to transfer information from our working memories, that's our short-term memories, into our long-term memories. When facts and experiences enter our long-term memory, then we're able to weave them together, and they stick in there. It's like you've got all these little asterisks floating around in your brain in your long-term memory, and when you begin to process, they attach to one another, and they form these thoughts and concepts, and you're able to hook things together. He writes, our long-term memory has an almost unlimited capacity. I refer to uh, the guy who memorized a thousand characters of pi, but the short-term memory has limited storage, and it's very fragile. And he writes, a break in our attention can sweep the contents from our mind. How many of us walked into a room and said, what am I here for? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that was it, because on the way in, we had a purpose, and on the way in, something took our attention, and when we got to the room, we're like, I, I know I'm here for something. What, what was it? What was it? Um, that happens. That's what this is, except on a larger basis. As an example, you pull out your phone, not to call somebody, but to do what? Take a picture, okay? And what is happening, and, and from, from the studies, is our... our Taking of pictures and taking of so many hinders our ability to remember the scenes that we're taking pictures of because we want to get just the right picture or one of these, you know. Yeah, I'm not taking a picture of you. You've got to, get, you've got to have a selfie there. And what happens is 
You're, you're too concerned with the picture and not with the scene. And not with the scene. Uh, when Judy and I traveled this, this summer and we were in, uh, out in the mountains in Colorado, you want to behold the scene and take it in and then take a picture of it. Okay, you want to fix that in your mind. You don't just want to go, oh, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool, let's keep going. You, you have, to, have to absorb it first. Um, at, or, as an example, uh, attention is key to forming these memories as well. So when you're watching a movie and you're texting your friends about the movie, that's the reason you can't remember what the movie was about two days later. Because you were telling your friends about what was going on, you weren't absorbing what was going on. So when the working memory experiences this, and, and I'm quoting Carr still, um, this, this digital overload, as I said, it's like having a glass of water, a pitcher of water pouring into a glass all day, and it's just pouring out. At the same time it's coming in, it's pouring out, and, and nothing is actually staying. So we're losing this information because it's being constantly replaced with new information. Okay, the 24-7 news cycle. Uh, it's got to happen. We've got to report it. It's got to be there. Well, what happened two hours ago? Well, I, I don't know because I know what happened now. Okay, So we end up feeling overwhelmed because what you have is an endless amount of facts and nothing to connect them to. Nothing to connect them to. The director of memory disorder clinics wrote, when we're not paying good attention the memories we form aren't very robust, and we have a problem retrieving that information at a later date. So many of our memories uh, that we keep are tied to, to an emotional time, an emotional experience. They're seared in our mind because we, we've purposely studied and put them there, whether it was the material uh, in an academic sense, where, whether it was a scene, um, whether it was a phone number, whatever it is. We purposely put it there and repeated it and used it again and again. So, why do I say that? Because the way to godliness is treasuring up God's word in our hearts. That is fixing it in our hearts, in our minds. Look back at verse 11 here just for an instant. Thy word I have treasured in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. I have stashed it away in my heart. Remember, it takes first place in my heart. It is precious. So I stash it in there. I fill my heart, also my mind with it. Why? Because it's a hedge against sin. Now, how many people have have laid waste to their lives because they didn't meditate on the word? They didn't memorize the word? You know, if you want to be holy, if you want a way to overcome sin, you do it by first filling your mind with the Word of God. You continue to pour into it. Remember, a broken vessel requires constant filling. You think, well, why? okay, Rand, all this memorization, I just, I just don't do it very well. Continue to pour the Word in. Why? Because as a broken vessel, it's coming out the other side, but it needs to be in you again and again and again. The Bible says that by treasuring up the word of God, it's a means by which we might not sin against him. He gives us the means, that is his word. He tells us how to do it, treasure it up in our hearts. Why? So that we won't sin against him. If the doctor says you're sick and you might die, here's a prescription. Take this prescription, you might get well and live. 
but you know what, the pills are big, and I don't smell the pills very well, and, and uh, you know, the bottle's up in the cupboard, and it's just, I just forgot about it, or that doctor really doesn't know what he's talking about, so I feel fine. Um, you're going to stay sick, and you may even die, because he's given you the prescription for life, okay? Not just because he wants to give you pills, but because this is going to help you in, in your life and maybe protect your life and heal you. That's the way it is with sin. If you neglect what God tells you to do and how to stay away from sin, you will fall into sin. You will pursue sin. You will begin to love sin and treasure sin in your heart and not treasure the word in your heart. If you neglect what God tells you, that, will incre- that tells you what will increase godliness in your life to make you a mature and a strong and a vibrant believer, If you neglect those things, then you will not be mature. You will not be strong. You will not be vibrant. But sin will begin to hold more and more of your heart. So let's look at these uh, verses. We're only going to look at 17 through 20. And there's one item in each of these verses, these four things uh, in particular. So verse 17. Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep your word. Deal bountifully with me. Show me your favor, Lord, so that I can live, and not only just live, but I can live and keep your word. And keep your word. The psalmist is asking the Lord that he may be gracious unto him, that I may have life, and that I may have it as the Lord defines it, abundantly. That is, keeping his word, knowing what the Lord wants. The psalmist repeatedly and throughout scripture uh, gives us things like this, prayers that indicate this desire for the Lord, this hunger for the Lord, the desire for the Lord to bestow upon us a type of life that is only found in fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Now, there are plenty of people out there who say, oh, I'm I'm just having a great life and, and things are good. As far as they know, and we'll see why in just a moment. We'll see why in verse uh, 19 or 20. Why they think that and why they think that they've reached the pinnacle of happiness in their life, but in reality they have not yet even come close to it. The psalmist is saying, Lord, be gracious to me, be generous to me, deal kindly with your servant uh, from your word. Now, that's very important because we've seen, uh, biblically speaking, those who want to deal and they want, they want what is best according to their minds for them and they read what or see what the Lord has and then they go, well, I really don't think that's true. I'm going to go do my own thing. And it started all the way back in the beginning. Okay? The Lord said, Adam, this is what you've got to do. This, these are my words. Here's my no. Here's what you should do. Along comes this whisper in his ears, says, oh, he didn't really mean that. So what Adam did, he said, I think this is what I want. And he put what he wanted, or what he thought was best for himself, over and above what the Lord said was right and what the Lord said was best. How many times have we done that in our own lives? Just gone and say, you know what? I know it says this, but I really want this. Or, uh... I don't think the Lord understood my context well enough, so I'm just going to go and, and do my own thing. Mm. The Lord says, this is what is right. This is what is true according to my word. If you want to have life, you want to have it abundantly, walk this way. If you want to risk it and go off the edge, 
Walk according to Randy's law. That's trouble. That is trouble. So when we, we ask the Lord in verse 17 to deal bountifully, he's saying deal graciously with me, Lord, according to your grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is undeserved favor, undeserved merit. It is, so the psalmist is saying, Lord, I don't deserve this, but you, would you deal with me in this fashion? He doesn't use the word grace here, but that's what he is asking. I want you to think for a few moments of whatever kind of trouble you have been in, uh, you, you are in presently. Um, if you're a believer in Christ, he has already dealt bountifully with you. He has already been gracious to you. And you're thinking, well, he could have been a little bit more gracious because you, did you see the outcome of that trouble? Well, his word probably said, don't go there. But you went there anyway. But you went there, yet you were still in his hand if you're a believer. And you're in the midst of trouble, in the midst of suffering, but you're still in the midst of his care in your life. So think of this. If you're a believer in Christ, you have already received a gift that is far beyond your deserving it. Okay, We've received this gift of salvation. And, and it is, um, you know, people want to see a miracle. I've been saved. That's a fabulous miracle, okay? That's a fabulous miracle. I, I, who was an enemy of God one day, suddenly am a child of his the next instant. That is miraculous. That is the Lord saying, you know what, Randy, you're on your way to hell because of your own sin and your own problem, but I'm going to grab you and give you salvation. A gift we don't deserve. Graciousness, which is worth more than anything that the world has for us. Or could ever give to us. So we see this. Deal bountifully with me. And you know the Bible's filled with the descriptions of blessings that the Lord has given to us. Further in Romans 8. We read Romans, uh, the first part of Romans 8. Romans 8.32 says. He who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us what? All things really the lord has promised to give us all things so i go down to regions and get some of those things out of the vault is that what he's saying or 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 what i can go and and down to the uh, yacht club and get one of those is that one of those all things all things refers to all the things that the lord has for you which are best for you. He defines what is best for you. He defines what will help shape you and mold you in godliness. So if he didn't spare his son but gave him up for us, how will he not also give us all those things that will bring holiness and godliness and blessedness into our lives? That's what the Lord has promised to do. So he says, Deal graciously, deal bountifully with me, Lord, that I may live the life you have called me to and provided for me, that I may keep your word. Verse 18, the second one. Open my eyes. Open my eyes that I may behold the wonderful things from your law. Open my eyes that I may see. The psalmist is saying, Lord, don't let my dimness 
my human dullness, my spiritual blindedness interfere with understanding what your word has for me. Now, a couple illustrations from this. Um, Let's turn over to 2 Kings chapter 6. While you're turning over there, I'll tell you one of the... uh, the, illustri- the other illustration, which comes from Numbers 22, and that is Balaam and his donkey. And the donkey can see. I mean, Balaam is a false prophet. He wants to curse Israel. He's riding on this donkey. And, and the donkey saw something that Balaam couldn't see. And he's not going anywhere. And, and Balaam starts to yell at the donkey and beat the donkey. And then an angel shows up. And he says, you know, what do you think you're doing? What happened was... Balaam's eyes were closed to the spiritual reality that was right in front of him. Somehow the donkey's eyes were open, okay? Uh, rarely do we say the donkey was smarter than the person, but here it was. it was. His eyes had been open to it. Balaam's eyes were not open to it until the time when the Lord deemed appropriate. So here we are, what I say, 2 Kings? 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, we may have had that same experience when we've gone to uh, the Word. And we might have read something a hundred times, a hundred times in, in the Word. And it just doesn't penetrate our minds. It, 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 we read it and we go, oh, that's really good. Uh, and then we go on. But the 101st time, it penetrates our heart. Now, why? where did that come from? Well, it was there the whole time. Why didn't I see it before? Because your eyes were not open to it before. Because it takes the, 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 the opening of our eyes by the Holy Spirit to understand the Word of God. So each time we come to God's Word, we need to ask that the Spirit would open our eyes to it. 2 Kings chapter 6, look at verse 15. This is Elijah. Uh, now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And the servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So uh, I'm sure the servant was kind of like, Oh, the old man's gone off the edge. He's lost it because he, he, all I see is this army. All I see is the army. Verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Then Elisha said to him, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he brought them to Samaria." So his uh, second in command there, uh, so to speak, his servant, could not see the angel army that surrounded this enemy army. And then the Lord opened his eyes. Lord, open my eyes that I don't miss your word. One more illustration, and we don't have to turn to it because we're going to know it. John chapter 3, this is Jesus and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to him at night because he doesn't want to be seen. You know, he's one of the teachers of the law, and, but he's blind. He knows all this information about the word, but he's still blind to it. 
He just doesn't get it. It doesn't penetrate his mind. So the conversation is almost comical, what they're doing. And Jesus says, unless the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, you can't understand and see the king, things of the kingdom. You can't see the truth of his word. And Nicodemus goes, what? Well, I don't understand. Well, that's right you don't understand because the Holy Spirit has not opened your eyes yet. I mean, how many of us sat in church for years and heard the stuff and read the stuff, but it didn't penetrate? Our eyes were not open. We did not understand our need for salvation. Not until the Lord's ready. Not until the Lord comes and opens our eyes. Open my eyes that I may see your word. This is what the psalmist is asking. Back to Psalm 119. If knowing and treasuring the truth of God's word is crucial for our holiness, for our maturity, for our growth in Christ, we have to dig into the word so that we can know his glories, that we can understand what he has for us, so that we can feast upon it. We are in a desperate condition outside of God's word, outside of his truth and his direction there. Unless God opens our eyes to that glory, we will not see it. We will not comprehend it. Paul prays to the Ephesians, open the eyes of your heart. I pray that the Lord will open the eyes of your heart. He's saying, I pray that the Lord will provide you the understanding to his word and what he wants. They give you not just an external sense, but a spiritual and internal sense. Now, this is not something that only a few people get. It's not something that only the uh, spiritual elite get. Every believer gets their eyes open to scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone can understand the word. It is simple and before us once we are, our eyes are open to it. So every time we come to the word, we pray the Lord will do so to open our eyes. Verse 19. I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. I'm a stranger here. I don't belong here. I'm just passing through. I'm a pilgrim on a journey. That's what each believer should say. I'm here for a season and when my season is done, then I will be home. Pilgrims do what? They make progress. Pilgrims make progress. We need to grow. We need to be on the way. We don't want to arrive in heaven, in a sense, uh, less prepared than we should have been. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, this is not my home. I'm a stranger here. I need your guidance. I need to know how to live, where I should walk, how I should walk. That's just the command there. Lord, don't let me veer from your path don't hide your commandments from me i need to see them and understand them because i want to get home i want to get home one last thing verse 20 when this is a question for each of us when was your soul crushed with longing for something when did, did you reach a point where you were almost incapacitated because you longed for something so badly? Because the desire of your heart was yet to be fulfilled. This is what the psalmist is saying in verse 20. My soul is crushed with longing. Longing for what? The Lord's ordinances. How often? All the time. 
My soul is crushed for your ordinances all the time. I am utterly enthralled. My heart aches in longing for your word. The Lord will plant this insatiable desire within us. Okay? He changes our hearts. He puts this longing into our hearts. We have to develop that longing. Does it become the thing that you lust after the word? Do you desire it more than anything else? It is sweet to the taste. Is that the way it is for you? This is what the Lord calls us to do. We don't live by the things of the world. We live by the things of the word. And only God reveals this to us. So is this how you feel about the word? I mean, the psalmist just gives us these four things. Is that how you feel for the, about the word? Do you have an appetite for it? Do you have a desperate need to hear it? Do you need to be filled with his promises? Do you find yourself that you have this need in your heart? I have to know what God wants from me and how am I to live? Do you need to hear them over and over and over again so that they will penetrate your heart? I think one of the reasons when we're in trouble, uh, we blank on the things of the Lord. And and what's the Lord doing here? I don't have any understanding. It's probably because of our lack of persistency in the word. It's our lack of digging into it. We don't stay with it long enough. We don't chew on it enough. And the psalmist has given a recipe for all those things in our lives. Times of sorrow, the times we're facing trouble for living as a pilgrim in a strange land. It's the longing after God's word, and it's the digging into what he has for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is is this island in the rest of the world. It is the light that shines into this world. We know the light is is the light of Christ, but you have given us the word, revelation from you. How shall we shine the light of Christ in this world? Well, your word tells us. How shall we draw comfort in the midst of trial or persecution? Your word tells us. How shall we put into practice the things of godliness in our own hearts, in our own lives? It is there for us. Lord, each of us comes to to your word as a broken vessel. Each of us comes imperfectly. Uh, Sometimes we want quick fixes. Sometimes we uh, just just want something to to take with us during the day. Sometimes we, we dig in and feast on it, Lord. The riches are there for us if we are willing to take the time, if we are willing to put the effort into it. Heavenly Father, draw our hearts close to you. Help us to learn to trust. Help us to learn to dig into the truth that you have for us. These wonderful words of life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.